As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. This is a beautiful opportunity for me to pay tribute to one of my greatest influences, Mary Oliver. Mary Oliver was, at the beginning of my yoga career as a teacher, one of the first ways that I was able to connect with the students. Reading her poetry opened the space between my heart and the hearts of my students, which was not open until I began to sink into her work. And I am doing this tribute because she passed away this week and I was communicating with several of my friends, Megan Watterson and Laura McCowan, Laura Tolumbus. Gosh, all of us who cast Giorsi, all of us who have connected through her work, Jenny Murray, and all of us were deeply touched by her passing. And so I decided to do this. I'm going to just read her poems. And I hope it's helpful, useful, inspiring, invigorating to your own work. We're going to go through Thirst, Leaf in the Cloud, Thousand Mornings, Felicity, Devotions I have here, but that's really the sort of best of. And then I'm going to end with her work in a poetry handbook, which was a defining book for my own work and my own fearlessness in writing poetry. Thank you, Mary Oliver. All the way up there. I'm going to start with those days. This is from Thirst. When I think of her, I think of the long summer days she lay in the sun, how she loved the sun, how we spread our blanket and friends came and the dogs played and then I would get restless and get up and go off to the woods and the fields and the afternoon would soften gradually and finally I would come home through the long shadows and into the house where she would be my glorious welcoming tan, hungry, and ready to tell the hurtless gossips of the day and how I listened leisurely while I put around the room flowers in jars of water, daisies, butter and eggs, and everlasting, until, like our lives, they trembled and shimmered everywhere. Back when this book was put out, I was teaching. I've even got little tears from the Veer Yoga schedule in here marking my pages and on this page i underlined a lot (laughs) of that poem the tears are falling again the next and only other poem that i'll read from thirst is the six recognitions of the lord you can find this also in devotions if devotions is the only one you have one i know a lot of fancy words 
I tear them from my heart and my tongue. Then I pray. Two, Lord God, mercy is in your hands. Pour me a little. And tenderness too. My need is great. Beauty walks so freely and with such gentleness. Impatience puts a halter on my face and I run away over the green fields, wanting your voice, your tenderness, but having only to do with the sweet grasses of the fields against my body. When I first found you, I was filled with light. Now the darkness grows and it is filled with crooked things, bitter and weak, each one bearing my name. Three. I lounge on the grass, that's all. So simple. And then I lie back until I am inside the cloud that is just above me, but very high and shaped like a fish. Or perhaps not. And then I enter the place of not thinking, not remembering, not wanting. When the blue jay cries out his riddle in his carping voice, I return. But I go back, the threshold is always near, over and back, over and back. Then I rise. Maybe I rub my face as though I've been asleep, but I have not been asleep. I have been, as I say, inside the cloud or perhaps the lily floating on the water. And then I go back to town, to my own house, my own life, which has now become brighter and simpler, somewhere I've never been before. Four. Of course, I have always known you are present in the clouds and the black oak I especially adore, and the wings of birds. But you are present too in the body, listening to the body, teaching it to live instead of all that touching with disembodied joy. We do not do this easily. We have lived so long in the heaven of touch, and we maintain our mutability, our physicality, even as we begin to apprehend the other world. Slowly, we make our appreciative response. <laughs> Slowly, appreciation swells to astonishment. And we enter the dialogue of our lives that is beyond all understanding or conclusion. It is mystery. It is love of God. It is obedience. Five. Oh, feed me this day, Holy Spirit, with the fragrance of the fields and the freshness of the oceans which you have made, and help me to hear and to hold in all dearness those exacting and wonderful words of our Lord Christ Jesus, saying, Follow me. Six, every summer, the lilies rise and open their white hands until they almost cover the black waters of the pond. And I give thanks, but it does not seem like adequate thanks. It doesn't seem festive enough or constant enough, nor does the name of the Lord or the words of thanksgiving come into it often enough. Everywhere I go, I am treated like royalty, which I am not. I thirst and I am given water. My eyes thirst, and I am given white lilies on the black water. My heart sings, but the apparatus of singing doesn't convey half what it feels and means. In spring there's hope, 
In fall, the exquisite, necessary diminishing. In winter, I am as sleepy as any bear, any beast in its leafy cave. But in summer, there is everywhere the luminous sprawl of gifts, the hospitality of the Lord and my inadequate answers as I row my beautiful temporary body through this water lily world. That one, that one's hard to read. It just brings me right back to Vira Yoga. Anyone who was there, I just was sitting there again. <laughs> Let's go to the leaf of the cloud. This is so big. This is one of the biggest ones I know. <sighs> and for some reason, I have a little sign here for myself, also on a Vira Yoga slice of paper. That says, trying to understand through mind alone equals fear. Soften and fill with love instead. <laughs> this poem is called Work. I read it for the first time when I was in my 20s. And it made me cry then. I could see into the future. You'll see why. And it has a few movements like the other one too. Number one. I am a woman of 60 years old and of no special courage. Every day, a little conversation with God or his envoy, the tall pine or the grass swimming cricket. Every day, I study the difference between water and stone. Every day, I stare at the world. I push the grass aside and stare at the world. The spring pickerel and the burn and shine of the tight packed water. The sweetness of the child on the shore also its radiant temper, the snail climbing the morning glories, carrying his heavy wheel, the green throats of the lilies turning from the wind. This is the world. Comes the hunter under the red leaves, come the hounds on their stubbies, like wind they pour through the grass, like wind they pour up the hill, like wind they twist and swirl in the long grass. Every day I have work to do. I feel my body rising through the water, not much more than a leaf. And I feel like the child crazed by beauty or filled to bursting with woe. And I am the snail in the universe of the leaves trudging upward. And I am the pale lily who believes in God, though she has no word for it. And I am the hunter and I am the hounds and I am the fox and I am the weeds of the field and I am the tunnel and the coolness under the earth and I am the paw print in the dust. I am the dusty toad who looks up unblinking and sees. Do you also see them? The white clouds in their blind round shouldered haste. I am a woman 60 years old and glory is my work. Two. The dreamy heads of the grass in early summer. In midsummer, thick and heavy, sparrows swing on them. They bend down. When the sparrow sings, its whole body trembles. Later, the pollen shakes free, races this way and that way like a mist full of life, which it is. We stand at the edge of the field, sneezing. We praise God or nature according to our determinations. And then the grass curls or breaks or recut it. What does it matter? Do you think the grass is growing so wild and thick for its own life? Do you think the cutting is the ending and not also a beginning? This is the world. 
the pink globes of the peonies under the sun's early morning hands. The vine of the honeysuckle perks upward, the fine hold of its design did not need to be so wonderful, did it? But is. This is the world. The bat squeaks, the bat leans down out of dark July with its elf's face. Twenty winged cloud of yellow butterflies floats into the field. Their mustard heads bend under their soft weight. This is the world. Three. Would it be better to sit in silence, to think everything, to feel everything, to say nothing? This is the way of the orange gourd. This is the habit of the rock in the river over which the water pours all night and all day. But the nature of man is not the nature of silence. Words are the thunders of the mind. Words are the refinements of the flesh. Words are the responses to the thousand curvaceous moments. We just manage it, sweet and electric. Words flow from the brain and out the gate of the mouth. We make books of them out of hesitations and grammar. We are slow and choosy. This is the world. Four. All day I have been pining for the past. That's when the big dog, Luke, breathed at my side. And she dashed away. Then she returned in and out of the swales, in and out of the creeks, her dark eyes snapping. And then she broke slowly in the rising arc of a fever. And now she's nothing except for mornings when I take a handful of words, throw them into the air, so that she dashes up again out of the darkness like this. This is the world. The green pea climbs the stake on her sugary muscles. The rosy comma of the radish fattens in the soil. Farmers call to the white oxen. Together they pull the plow. Girls sigh upward against the bodies of young men. The century plant opens at last in the frail moonlight. Six. And how shall we speak of love except in the splurge of roses and the long body of the river shining its silk and froth? And what could be more wonderful than the agility and the reaching of the fingers of Hannah, who was only seven days old? And what could be more comforting than to fold grief like a blanket, to fold anger like a blanket with neat corners to put them into a box of words? Seven. It may be the rock in the field is also a song. And it may be the ears of corn swelling under their green sleeves are also songs. And it may be the river glancing and leaning against the dark stone is also a deliberate music. So I will write my poem, but I will leave room for the world. I will write my poem tenderly and simply, but I will leave room for the wind combing the grass, for the feather falling out of the grouse's fantail and fluttering down like a song. And I will sing for the bones of my wrists, supple and exemplary. And the narrow paths of my brain, its lightnings and issues, its flags, its ideas. And the mystery of the number three. 
I will sing for the iron doors of the prison and for the broken doors of the poor and for the sorrow of the rich who are mistaken and lonely. And I will sing for the white dog forever tied up in the orchard. I will sing for the morning sun and its panels of green and pink on the quiet water and for the loons passing over the house. I will sing for the spirit of Luke. I will sing for the ghost of Shelley. I will sing for the Janes and their careful brooms. I will sing for the salt and pepper in their little towers on the clean table. I will sing for the rabbit that has crossed our yard in the moonlight, stopping twice to stamp the cold ground with his narrow foot. I will sing for the two coyotes who came at me with their strong teeth and then at the last moment began to smile. I will sing for the veil that never lifts. I will sing for the veil that begins once in a lifetime, maybe, to lift. I will sing for the rent in the veil. I will sing for what is in front of the veil, the floating light. And I will sing for what is behind the veil, light, light, and more light. This is the world, and this is the work of the world. <sighs> A thousand warnings. I've only picked one or two from here. This one's called, I happened to be standing. I don't know where prayers go or what they do. Do cats pray while they sleep half asleep in the sun? Does the opossum pray as it crosses the street? The sunflowers, the old black oak growing older every year. I know I can walk through the world, along the shore, under the trees, with my mind filled with things of little importance in full self-attendance. A condition I can't really call being alive. Is a prayer a gift or a petition, or does it matter? The sunflowers blaze, maybe that's their way. Maybe the cats are sound asleep. Maybe not. While I was thinking this, I happened to be standing just outside my door with my notebook open, which is the way I begin every morning. And then a wren in the privet began to sing. He was positively drenched in enthusiasm. I don't know why. And yet, why not? I wouldn't persuade you from whatever you believe or whatever you don't. That's your business. But I thought of the wrens singing, what could this be if it isn't a prayer? So I just listened, my pen in the air. And the only other one from A Thousand Mornings is called Today. It's one of my longtime favorites. Today I'm flying low and I'm not saying a word. I'm letting all the voodoos of ambition sleep. The world goes on as it must, the bees in the garden rumbling a little, the fish leaping, the gnats getting eaten, and so forth. But I'm taking the day off, quiet as a feather. I hardly move, though really I'm traveling a terrific distance. Stillness, one of the doors into the temple. Betty Kay, I think, got this for me. Felicity, Laura McCowan. Betty Kay definitely bought this one for me. Betty Kay, BK, if you're watching, I love you. Laura McCowan, I love you too. I have 
two or three from Felicity. I'm going to start with moments. Laura, this one's for you. There are moments that cry out to be fulfilled, like telling someone you love them or giving your money away, all of it. Your heart is beating, isn't it? You're not in chains, are you? There is nothing more pathetic than caution when headlong might save a life, even possibly your own. And I opened this one last night after a long while to my favorite poem in here, which is called What This Is Not. And I have a note on it that says W.L. Oz, which means Wanderlust in Oz, February 2016. So apparently I must have been reading it there, and I kind of remember reading it when I was teaching with Arlie. And I think, Izzy, you were in the class. You watch this. What this is not. This is not just surprise and pleasure. This is not just beauty, sometimes too hot to touch. This is not a blessing with a beginning and end. This is not just a wild summer. This is not conditional. Tara Bliss, that one's for you. I'm going to read it again. What this is not. This is not just surprise and pleasure. This is not just beauty sometimes too hot to touch. This is not a blessing with a beginning and an end. This is not just a wild summer. This is not conditional. The last couple are from Devotions. Now, again, Devotions is a compilation of all of her best, greatest, I guess, most beloved work. So this isn't just from Devotions. These are all from other compilations as well. The first that I've chosen from this book is called Prayer. May I never not be frisky. May I never not be risque. May my ashes, when you have them, friend, and give them to the ocean, leap in the froth of the waves, still loving movement, still ready beyond all else to dance with the world. That one is also dedicated to Alexandra. You will be missed, woman. Alexandra was a dear friend from Paris who also died this week. She was way too young. I'm sorry to be crying so much. <laughs> the second one is called Praying. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and a silence in which another voice may speak. I read that so many hundreds of times to my classes. Uh, I think I'm going to end with the poetry handbook, and this is for all of us who would really like to start to use our words to express the gratitude, the woe, the fear, the doubt, 
the beauty, all of it. And we haven't really sat down yet to write. So this is for you. I'm just going to read the first few pages entitled Getting Ready. This is called uh, a poetry handbook. This is a prose guide to understanding and writing poetry. And if you were interested in being a poet at all, I couldn't recommend this more highly. Again, I'm sorry for <laughs> crying. It's such a big week. My mom also died three years ago on Wednesday coming. So everything is just a little tender. Getting ready. If Romeo and Juliet had made appointments to meet in the moonlight-swept orchard in all the peril and sweetness of conspiracy, and then more often than not failed to meet, one or the other lagging or afraid or busy elsewhere, there would have been no romance, no passion, none of the drama for which we remember and celebrate them. Writing a poem is not so different. It is a kind of possible love affair between something like the heart, that courageous but also shy factory of emotion, and the learned skills of the conscious mind. They make appointments with each other and keep them and something begins to happen. Or they make appointments with each other but are casual and often fail to keep them. Count on it. The part of the psyche that works in concert with consciousness and supplies a necessary part of the poem, the heat of a star as opposed to the shape of a star, let us say, exists in a mysterious unmapped zone. Not unconscious, not subconscious, but cautious. It learns quickly what sort of courtship it is going to be. Say you promise to be at your desk in the evenings from seven to nine. It waits, it watches. If you are reliably there, it begins to show itself. Soon, it begins to arrive when you do. But if you are only there sometimes and are frequently late or inattentive, it will appear fleetingly or it will not appear at all. Why should it? Remember guys, we're talking about the part of the psyche that works in concert with consciousness and supplies a necessary part of the poem. This is what we're talking about. Why should it appear? It can wait. It can stay silent a lifetime. Who knows anyway what it is, that wild, silky part of ourselves without which no poem can live. But we do know this. If it is going to enter into a passionate relationship and speak what is in its own portion of your mind, the other responsible and purposeful part of you had better be a Romeo. It doesn't matter if risk is somewhere close by. Risk is always hovering somewhere. But it won't involve itself with anything less than a perfect seriousness. For the would-be writer of poems, this is the first and most essential thing to understand. It comes before everything, even technique. Various ambitions to complete the poem, to see it in print, to enjoy the gratification of someone else's comment about it, serve in some measure as incentives to the writer's work. Now, each of these is reasonable. Each is a threat to that other ambition of the poet, which is to write as well as Keats or Yeats or Williams or whoever it was who scribbled onto a page a few lines whose force the reader once felt and has never forgotten. Every poet's ambition should be to write as well. Anything else is only a flirtation. And never before 
have there been so many opportunities to be a poet publicly and quickly, thus achieving the easier goals. Magazines are everywhere. There are literally hundreds of poetry workshops. There is, as never before, company for those who like to talk about and write poems. None of this is bad. But very little of it can do more than start you on your way to the real unimaginably difficult goal of writing memorably. That work is done slowly and in solitude, and it is as improbable as carrying water in a sieve. A final observation. Poetry is a river. Many voices travel in it. Poem after poem moves along in the exciting crests and falls of the river waves. None is timeless. Each arrives in an historical context. Almost everything in the end passes. But the desire to make a poem and the world's willingness to receive it, indeed, the world's need of it, these never pass. If it is all poetry, and not just one's own accomplishment that carries one from this green and mortal world that lifts the latch and gives a glimpse into a greater paradise, then perhaps one has the sensibility, a gratitude apart from authorship, a fervor and desire beyond the margins of the self. How many times I've read those words. This is highly recommended <laughs> if you want to write. I know it's looking backwards. Mary Oliver, Poetry Handbook. That's what I've got. Mary Oliver, may you rest in the deepest peace, in all the peace that you have ever granted all of us through your words. Thank you so much, woman. We are all so much better for you having been alive and diligent, meeting that part of your psyche. Thank you. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming 
than many different supplements. Reclaim your health. Arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.